Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Buery, and as always, I'm with the always resilient Dr. Lucy Jones. Today's episode is sponsored by individual listeners. It's a project of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society, a nonprofit committed to bringing science to the community. Would you consider sponsoring this podcast too for as little as $5 a month? Because that's how it continues to be here for you week after week. It's simple. Just go to patreon.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Now let's get to it. I think people are surprised when they hear that you don't have a, quote, earthquake kit, Lucy. Do you do that to shock people when they ask you the question? Well, yes and no. I mean, I do have supplies, but I don't put it in a kit ready to run away because there's not going to be a prediction. And I'm almost certainly staying in my house. Besides, when you put your supplies in a separate place to wait for the earthquake, that's a great way of making sure that they're all expired and useless by the time you come to need them. So I try to find ways to make sure I cycle through and maintain my supplies. But yes, I want to shock people out of thinking that the solution to the earthquake problem is having supplies. And that's hard for people though, right? They want to be able to say, oh, I'm ready for the earthquake because I have checked off my list of what I need to do and getting a kit is a tangible physical thing that says I'm ready for the earthquake. But having a kit doesn't make you prepared per se. It can be a portion of preparedness clearly, and it makes you feel better, but it's not what's really needed to survive the big earthquake. Yeah, I'm afraid I've seen too often that it becomes an excuse to not think deeper about what the issues really are. I mean, the kit is just the beginning. You know, it lets you provide first aid in in that first hour and maybe have some food for the next couple of days. But what about after that? We need both individually and as a society to rethink what it means to be hurt by a disaster. It's not just were you caught in that falling freeway or thrown over by the shaking and injured. It's what happens to you over the next month and year and decade Is your home damaged and you have to live somewhere else? Did your employer go out of business? Did your town's water supply get disrupted and now the local restaurants are all going bankrupt and those people are losing their jobs? Those are all questions that really do get to the point of why a kit is maybe, not to be punny here, but a Band-Aid really. It doesn't really get you what you need. And I think we both know because of the work we've done together, that people matter more than supplies. It's the work we've done for years together, getting people to understand their risks and take action to either prevent the damage in the first place or the losses, or be able to bounce back quick enough to minimize the long-term disruptions and impacts, right? That's resilience. Right. You either prevent the pieces from falling apart in the first place. That's mitigation. That's like Pasadena just recently deciding to retrofit its library. It's saying we are going to prevent the damage from happening at all. And how we recover from the damage that we can't or haven't prevented is even more important. When we look at what happened to communities in big disasters, it's how quickly they get back to normal that determines what really happens to them. And how we do that, simply put, 
is through people and our relationships. When we think about people and disasters, I think most people will first think of that first responder, someone racing in to save you or racing in to help you. And yes, we absolutely need them and value their work. And when that big earthquake happens, our fire department is going to be overwhelmed and your first responder is likely to be your neighbor. Most people, like over 90%, are rescued by either neighbors or passersby when the earthquake happens. And so that first response is important, but it's deeper than that. When we talk about people and really surviving the next big disaster, it's about people that you can share your supplies with. It's about people you can stay with if your power or water is out. It's about how you actually decide that you're going to rebuild. What motivates us to recover, to be resilient in the face of disaster and the uncertain future that it brings is people. When we have these relationships, when we have these connections, we're more likely to try to maintain them and rebuild them. I mean, it's exactly what we've seen during this last year and a half with the pandemic, right? That we want to be connected to people. We do whatever it takes to stay connected. And when we are, we're more satisfied with the, the life we're living. And in fact, there's some great research that's been done over the years. I think of Daniel Aldrich. There's other studies that have been done that show what's the social scientists call the social capital. That's like you have uh, economic capital or political capital. Social capital are your connections, your relationships. And communities where people have a higher degree of social capital, where they're more connected to other people, are the communities that do a better job of recovering from various disasters. No matter what the disaster is, the ability to rebuild is something that we never do alone. And social capital doesn't get created after the earthquake. You really have to have done it before. And it's how you see your neighbors and the people you're interacting with. If you see them as your partners, that you're going to work together to make your city better on an everyday basis, and then you're there to help it improve after the earthquake. But if you see your neighbors as potential threats, as the people you need to protect your supplies from, then you create a self-fulfilling prophecy that your neighbor becomes your enemy. And I think when you talk about neighbors, it's it's more than just the people who live next door to you, whether you're in you know a house of single family homes or you're in an apartment or condo building with multiple you know residences within one building. These people, that's one place to start for sure. But it's really about being intentional with people that are proximate to you, right, close by, and also those that you have a connection with. It could be your faith community or a social club. We have definitely decided as a society that relationships matter, but as we are more, quote, connected through the internet, through our social networks, if you will, through social media, we actually become more disconnected from the people that are proximate to us. Because why make friends with neighbors down the street when you can stay connected to your elementary school best friend from 30 years ago. And because you can, and that's great. And it's great that our society has this ability to link, but without having those proximate connections, the people in your community, we do ourselves a disadvantage to building our own resilience. And so we've created a society that has social connections virtually, but it reveals what social local connections we lack. And those really matter in a disaster. And we know, I mean, I might have great time visiting with my middle school friend who now lives in Portland. And I do, and I'm glad that I've reconnected with her, but there's things you can't do virtually. I play my music in person. 
I go to my church in person, outside right now, but in person. And it's those connections that are the ones that I can build on after the earthquake to help rebuild our local community. Because that's the reason I stay here. If you're only visiting virtually, and we found that out, people are getting up and moving, aren't they? They make different choices about where they live. So if you've chosen a place because you want to live there, then you need to be working with the other people who live there to make sure that you're ready to help each other when the need comes. And this is about being intentional about relationships. This isn't just, well, if it happens, it happens and I'll I'll take what I can get. It's about making an effort and putting yourself out there, not because you need it selfishly, but because your community benefits from your connection with others. This isn't about your block surviving. It's about your block representative of the greater community surviving and giving hope to others who perhaps didn't make that investment in the relationships before the disaster struck. And so clearly, if you invest in relationships with people around you, it will pay off far greater than investing in a kit. Now, the truth is I do have an earthquake kit or a disaster kit in my car. And that's because I know it'll help me get to that resilient community that I've built either in my own neighborhood where I live, where I work, or in the other parts of my community across Southern California, where I have friends, relatives, and neighbors who I can go to if I happen to be experiencing the disaster and I'm not at my home. Yeah. And I have one in my car too, because you never know when you're going to need it. But it's my relationships through my church, my music group, and with my neighbors that are going to help me do more than just survive the big earthquake. And in doing so, help you get through it too. So let's leave it there. And until next time, I'm John Bwery with Dr. Jones and you getting through it. Getting Through It is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online to get past shows and become a sponsor at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Our music is performed by Josh Lee and this closing music is written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones.